Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. When I was a kid, I was the world's pickiest eater. And I know all you moms are nodding your heads right now because probably one or every single one of your kids went through the picky eater stage. But I kid you not when I say I was a picky eater. In the years before bottled water was a thing, I refused to drink soda. I didn't like Doritos. I would only eat pizza from Little Caesars. I know, right? I hated steak. I'd peel cold-boiled shrimp by the plateful for my grandma at the seafood buffet, but I wouldn't touch them to eat with a nine-foot pole. My mom would resort to making fruit faces for my lunch. A banana for a mouth, grapes for eyes, an apple-sliced nose, two triangles of cheese for ears with raisins pressed in for earrings. When I was two, she tells me I stopped eating all together for a time. Picky eater extraordinaire. Somewhere around the time I turned eight, my grandmother made barbecue ribs. I know the weather is finally starting to get nice enough for y'all to stand out there at the grill and think about making ribs. You might even be salivating right now, right? I mean, I kind of am too. <laughs> but at age eight, I would not touch them. I flat out refused. And when mom asked why I wouldn't eat them, I replied, I don't like them. Here's the thing. I'd never had barbecue ribs before that moment. I'm a picky eater, remember? Mom even called me out. How do you know you won't like them? You've never had them before. To which I stubbornly maintained that I did not, would not like them. And then Grandma flipped my excuse on its head. She scoffed, you're just afraid that once you try them, you'll actually like them. Well, stubborn to the core, I had to prove her wrong. So I tried them. And guess what? I like them. To this day, my parents will rib me, no pun intended, about all the foods I refused to eat and how grandma got me to eat barbecue ribs with that one line. You're just afraid that once you try them, you'll actually like them. Now, how many years later, I've tried all sorts of foods. I eat shrimp now. Grandma was really disappointed when she had to start peeling her own. I love a good filet. Avocados are amazing, but the jury's still out on asparagus. Sushi, pork tail, liver pate. Nick even got me to try Rocky Mountain oysters. Although that was a one-time thing. Now I enjoy all this 
amazing and sometimes crazy food that I missed out on for years because I was too afraid to try it. Too afraid to move out of my comfort zone of fruit faces and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and try something that I might not like. It's, it's silly and a little laughable to imagine little eight-year-old Dawn afraid of barbecue ribs because she didn't know how they tasted and automatically assumed that meant she wouldn't like them. Even now, I'm asked to try something new, do something different, and still, many times, my first reaction is fear. I, I don't want to. That doesn't look good. That doesn't look like it'll feel good. I'm afraid to leave what I know and where I'm comfortable, and what if I just don't like it? And this doesn't just happen with my food choices. It happens in my walk with God, too. He brings me to a crossroads in my life, and I'm suddenly in that old barbecue rib territory again. It happened when I met my future husband. About a month into our dating relationship, he told me that he was going to be moving to Colorado in the spring. This man I had already told my mom I wanted to marry was going to be leaving. This was not okay. <laughs> I remember standing in my kitchen after Nick said goodnight and saying, okay, God, he's going to Colorado. Now what? And God spoke to my heart. You go too. Wherever Nick went, West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, even the spiritual wildernesses in between. I was being called to leave the life I knew and go serve with him. I had to choose what my response to God's calling would be. Over the past few weeks, things we've expected, waited on, or hoped for have been turned upside down. Parents may be feeling overwhelmed wondering how long they'll need to help homeschool their kids. Others are out of work and don't know when they'll be able to get back to earning a living, or even if their job will still be available. Students are actually upset about not getting to go to school, and they're wondering when they'll get to see their friends and their teachers again. Our seniors are missing Final games, concerts, musicals, prom, even graduation. Older generations don't know when they'll be able to have visitors again. And singles, how about trying to date if you can't be closer than six feet from someone? Even churches are wondering what their faith communities will need once we can meet in person again and if they'll be prepared to provide for those needs. And, come on, everybody's wondering when we'll ever see a fully stocked shelf of toilet paper again. We're all facing things we don't like, things we don't understand, things 
or questioning how they're going to work out. Like me, you may be saying to God, this is not okay. Now what? As disciples of Christ, we are often asked to do difficult, different, or or maybe even uncomfortable things. And each time God calls us to something, we have a choice in how we respond. We can respond in fear, or we can respond with faith. Let's take a look at a powerful disciple of Jesus Christ. You might even call her the first disciple of Jesus, his mother, Mary. And let's see how she responded to God calling her to do something difficult. We meet Mary in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And while you're turning there in your Bible or on your app, you might be thinking it's a little early to be talking about the Christmas story here. We're going to be joining Mary's story about nine months before Christmas Day. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Notice Mary's first response to the angel. She was confused and disturbed, or as others translations say, greatly troubled. Mary reacted like a lot of us would if an angel suddenly showed up in our house calling us favored and saying the Lord is with us. Her heart rate picks up. She's maybe even a little scared. Mary's not from a prominent family. She's a Jew during Roman occupation. She's a woman and she's from Nazareth. Even other Jews scoffed and said that nothing good came out of Nazareth. 
So by all cultural counts, Mary had a low social status. She, she was a nobody. And the angel is calling her favored and saying that the Lord is with her. And next, of course, the angel tells her that she, a young, unmarried Jewish woman, is going to have a baby. In the first century Israelite culture, when this announcement takes place, Mary would have been around pregnant women, childbirth, infants, all of her life. She understood how women became mothers, and she probably had a lot of experience caring for babies in her family and the community. So Mary was an unwed virgin. By all accounts, it should be impossible for her to have a child without involving her fiancé, Joseph. Gabriel's equation doesn't add up in her human understanding. It's impossible. On top of that, she's being asked to carry this child in a culture where it was a lot less acceptable to be pregnant and unmarried. There would be some conversations and confrontations that would come out of all this. Mary faced losing her fiance, her reputation, even her community. So by all rights, she would have been perfectly validated in saying, yeah, right, no way, thanks but no thanks, See you later, Gabe. Instead, she asks, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Gabriel explains the logistics of how Mary will conceive. And he ends with the reminder that God's word never fails. Or as some translations write, nothing is impossible with God. This is a crossroads for Mary, her calling to something that will demand a response. It is for her what the burning bush was to Moses, what Samuel's anointing was to David. Mary is being called to accept motherhood of this child, accept God's plan for her life. And when faced with God's call, Mary chooses not to dwell on the fear and there was a lot for a pregnant, unwed Jewish girl from a nowhere town to be afraid of. But instead, she chooses to trust what she knows of God and his unfailing words. She answers the call with faith and says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. When confronted with a revelation of God's plans, our first response is often some degree of uncertainty. Maybe we don't feel equipped to follow the path God calls us to. Maybe it doesn't look like what we wanted. Maybe there are things about it that we don't like. Just like little eight-year-old Dawn and her barbecue ribs. We could be afraid of something because we've never experienced it before. So we're convinced it won't be good. Every time God calls us, we have a choice 
in how we respond. Do we respond in fear or with faith? This was clearly not a circumstance that Mary would have ever imagined for herself, and probably not one she would have chosen either if anyone other than the Most High had asked it of her. Which, you know what, <laughs> makes me feel better because there are many things in my life that look different than what I would have planned or chosen if I'd been in control. You know, they say that man plans and God laughs, and I wish I could tell you that wasn't true. But in my life, yikes, has it been true. God's plans are always, always, always so different from the future I imagine. I mean, for one, as a Chicago Bears fan, I never planned to live right smack dab in the middle of enemy territory in Wisconsin. But God had other plans, and I had a choice in how to respond when he called me. Would I respond in fear or with faith? Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Could Mary have responded in fear, uncertainty, or doubt? Absolutely. In fact, just a few verses earlier, her cousin's husband, Zechariah, is told that his wife, Elizabeth, whom you remember the angel mentioned to Mary, is going to have a baby too. The one who will pave the way for the Messiah. His response? Let's look at Luke 1, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Notice the difference? Same angel giving very similar news to two people who by all accounts should not be having children, an older couple past their prime and a young unmarried woman. Zachariah, who was a priest, married to a daughter of a priest. I mean, you couldn't get any more priestly than this guy. And he asked, how do I know that God's word is true? On the other hand, Mary, a devout and intelligent, but otherwise unnotable young woman, responds with, God, this doesn't seem possible, but can you help me understand how this is going to happen? And did you notice the answer she gets when she asks how this is all going to happen? God doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. He doesn't give her all the answers. He doesn't tell her how she's going to explain this to her parents, her betrothed, or her community, who will probably not say nice things about Mary and her reputation when they find out that she's unmarried and claiming that God is her baby daddy. Instead, Gabriel tells her some logistics of how the baby will be conceived. And then he concludes by reminding her that the word of God will never fail. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Mary doesn't say yes to God's call because Gabriel explained everything, because he didn't, or because he promised to have a chat with her mom to make this all easier. Mary said yes because her faith was deeply rooted in the one she knew and trusted, the one who is most powerful. Throughout life, we've all been asked to persevere through hard things. At age eight, it was trying new foods that I was absolutely, positively certain without a doubt that I would not like. In later years, it was being uprooted from communities we loved and certainties we relied on because Jesus was asking us to follow him and be part of what he was doing in North Carolina and then Slinger, Wisconsin. Each time God calls us to something, we have a choice. We can respond in fear, asking for proof like Zechariah, or we can respond with faith, knowing our God will not call us to something that he would not walk through with us, knowing that nothing is impossible for him, trusting that he will help us understand what we need to do in order to accomplish what he asks. God's commands are possible because of what he has already promised us. He's never promised that life will be easy. In fact, Jesus all but guarantees the opposite. And he doesn't promise to give us all the answers we want when we want them. But God does promise in scripture that his people will have everything they need to do his will, and they will make it to the finish line. When we know God's promises, when we believe that we can trust his promises and his word, then it becomes a whole lot easier to respond with faith and say yes to whatever he asks of us. Let's take a look at some of his promises. God is always with me. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31.8 God is always in control. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Mark 10.27 God is always good. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke 11:13. God is always watching. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32:8. And finally, God is always victorious. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. As followers of Christ, one of our most powerful witnesses to the world can be how we choose to react to things. 
when I'm focused on myself, difficult situations and crossroads tend to trigger my fear response. I'm just little me. I can't do that on my own. I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't know if I like what might happen if I choose this. What will other people think? God, tell me how I can be sure this is going to happen. But when I go to God's word, when I'm communicating with him on a daily basis in prayer and getting to know him, know who he is and know what he has promised to his children, that fear doesn't have a toehold. Maybe I don't know how it's going to all work out and I still might not like certain aspects of it, but I know that God is with me. He is in control. He is good. He is watching and no matter what, he will be victorious. That unwavering faith in God that allows us to persevere in the face of difficult situations as Mary did, it doesn't just happen. It has to be practiced. It means taking our eyes off of ourselves and our situations and looking instead to God to remind ourselves what is true. Reading his word, studying his promises. The next time you're faced with a call, a choice, or a seemingly impossible situation, it might be tempting to respond like Zachariah, asking God to prove that something is going to happen and how. But I encourage you to remember Mary's response. Remember God's promises and ask instead, God, this seems impossible, but nothing is impossible for you. Can you show me how this will work? Each time God calls us to something, we have a choice. We can respond in fear, or we can respond with faith. Let us practice responding with faith and be witnesses to how God demonstrates his promises in our lives. Imagine what life looks like if we begin choosing faith over fear, if we truly stand on the real and true promises that God is with us, he is in control, he is good, he is watching, and no matter what, he will be victorious. What could happen in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our communities, our churches? We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. We don't know what God will call each of us to next. But we have a choice in how we respond, in fear or with faith. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.